everybody. We're happy that you're here today. Happy November. Come on in. We invite you to worship with us. Um, we're going to praise the Lord.
Would you pray with me? God, you're unchanging. And the scriptures declare that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so even in those moments when I don't see it and I don't feel it, I hold, I hold steadfast to your word, that you are the same, that you're not changing. You're the great high priest and you are the great I am. And so for anyone going through a season right now, God has not left you and God is unchanging. His character does not waver. He is still the great I am that sent Moses before Pharaoh. It's still the great I am that's walking with you through the season that you might be in. He's unchanging. Amen? Come on, amen, amen. Why don't we take a minute, maybe find someone you don't know. Create an atmosphere of welcome. Find someone you don't know, learn their name. So good to see you this morning. My name is Catlin, one of the pastors here, Townfield Church, and so honored to be here with you this morning. Uh, you know, it's our vision, our culture code is that we would be a place where we long that people would find the abundant life found in the way of Jesus, out of John 10.10. 10, and that in the way of Jesus, we find life and life to its full. And our heart here is that whether it's your first time, you come all the time that through the way of Jesus, you would start to discover the abundant life that he talks about. A couple things coming up in the life of our community in the coming weeks. It's this time of year that gets busy, isn't it? And, uh, and especially in our community here, there are some great things coming. Advent's just a few weeks away. And as, uh, and, but there's a few things coming up that before that. In two Mondays, on the 20th at 7 p.m. right here is our fall town hall. That's a time where we gather uh, near the end of the calendar year to celebrate and honor uh, and tell stories and ministry reports of all that God's done and is doing. And so I just encourage you to be there. I think you're going to be uplifted, encouraged. Uh, it's just a night about the heart for the house and where we get to share all the, all the great stuff God's done this year. So I'd encourage you, 7 p.m. in two Mondays. And then when, uh, later in November, on Sunday the 26th, uh, is Believe Sunday. And Believe Sunday is this. We have four local partners that we partner with in Langley. And we partner with uh, our local partners for this, for this, uh, for this reason, that we want, to, we want to increase our influence and impact. Uh, and so we do that through partnerships. And so we're partnered with Youth Unlimited, uh, Burnaby Counseling Center, which have offices right in our facility here. So we have, we have in-house counseling uh, in our partnership with them. 
Night Shift, which is a organization and ministry that uh, feeds and, and builds community amongst the marginalized in Langley. And who am I missing? Who am I missing? Someone shot me down. Hope for women. That was a test on you. Not on me. That was a test on you and someone passed. Hope for women. It's wonderful ministry that gets involved in the lives of women who have unexpected pregnancies. And they, they come and minister. And so we have this beautiful partnership where uh, we not only financially support that ministry, but we also, uh, we also come into the lives of young women with necessities, be it car seats, strollers, etc. These are our four partners. Believe Sunday is this Sunday that kind of for us uh, gets us ready for the Advent season. We kick off with Believe Sunday and then we move into Advent. And we kick off with this month of generosity in November where we want to, where we fundraise $50,000 and that $50,000 is given between the four partners. And we fundraise just to give it away. We fundraise in a spirit of generosity, one of our spiritual practices in the way of Jesus to be a generous generation. To fundraise money to, in order to just give it away. To give it to our four local partners to increase our influence and impact in Langley and the lives of those people uh, that are going through stuff. Be it in the margins, be it unexpected pregnancy, be it young people through Youth Unlimited. And so Believe Sunday is the Sunday where we fundraise that and our four local partners will be with us on that Sunday. And so you're going to hear ministry reports, you're going to hear highlights and stories and testimonies uh, from our four local partners. They're going to be here with me. Uh, up front, and you're going to be able to hear stories. And so, in prep for that, that's on Sunday the 26th. As we get ready for Believe Sunday, that then is going to usher us into this season of Advent. I just want to encourage you now to be considering on the 26th, when it comes to Believe Sunday, how am I going uh, to partner and join in with our four local partners by giving on Believe Sunday in order to sow into what God's doing through our four local partners. So I want to put it on your radar now. So you have a couple weeks notice before that Sunday. So as we get ready to uh, receive an offering on that Sunday on behalf of our four local partners, um, we're all ready. And so we want to be able to be a generous generation in that way. So looking forward to this morning. We have somebody from our own community sharing this morning. Um, I see he's talking to his wife right now. He's getting his sermon notes right now. Tara, let him know what he's going to say. Let him know. Let him know what he needs to preach. And, um, but Greg uh, is on our board and also just an integral member of our community here. And so we're so excited to have Greg come and share the scriptures with us this morning. Can we give Greg a big TNF welcome as he comes? <laughs> I take my shots when I can get them. So Greg's my boss. So I take, when I saw him talking to his wife, I was like, I'm going to take my shot. Greg, so honored to have you share the scriptures with us this morning. Where you're going to go, I'd love to pray for you, and then I'll, and then you can run where you want to run. God, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you that they're your primary revelation outside of the person of Jesus. When you speak to us, it's the living word. It's the sword. It's the way that you bring revelation and revealing to us, God. So we're we're so excited to come into your word this morning. As Greg brings the scriptures and brings the word, God, would you? Would you um, stir our curiosity in your scriptures, God? Would you speak through Greg and through um, both now, but I know you've been speaking in the past services too, God. But even now as he, as he speaks, God, would you have a spirit to receive it? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. I'll, I'll, this sermon, I'll correct you where I'm not your boss, I'm your brother. <laughs> 
So good morning and, uh, and welcome. I hope you're all doing well and not too stressed considering there's only six weeks of shopping left until Christmas. Um, as Catelyn said, I serve on the board here and if you're new here, you are welcome. We're so glad to have you here this morning. I pray that you feel very much at home here and uh, this morning that you really get something meaningful out of this message. Today I'm going to talk about how the church works and why we've organized it the way we organize it. And um, not just the church you see on Sunday, but the broader church. I pray that all of you, whether you're new or whether you're a regular here, really get something meaningful out of this. And that the message helps you understand and understand the main focus of Townsfield Church, which is, as Catlin said, the spreading of Jesus' gospel. The message is intended to lead up to the town hall that Catlin mentioned on the 20th of November, and uh, where we're going to discuss the more practical aspects of how we do church and why we're organized the way we are. Today, we will focus on some helpful principles that um, help us understand how we are working together as the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters. But first, let's just bow our heads and, and open in prayer. Lord, I thank you and praise you for how you have built your church and maintained it through the centuries. And I pray you take this time this morning, that you take our worship this morning and the words that I speak and use them to draw people closer to you, to further your kingdom through your spirit and by the power of your mighty name. Amen. So uh, years ago, Tara and I lived, in a, a, lived for a couple of years in Baku, Azerbaijan. Um, and we served there on the board of a fledgling church startup. Uh, we were able to launch a youth ministry, and we put in place the, the statement of faith from the church, and we put in a bunch of uh, policies on how the church would work. That church started out with just six families, and these were six Christian families living in an Islamic country just north of Iran and just south of Chechnya, and this was during the time of the Chechen Wars. These six families wanted their kids to have Sunday school, and obviously there was no Christian church there. So um, they got together in each other's homes, and each Sunday, one couple would teach the kids Sunday school, and the other, one other couple would run the service, and everybody would have a bit of a, a church. Over, over time, that evolved into a full church. Eventually, we had kids Sunday school, we had a youth ministry, midweek youth ministry, we had about 200 people attending on a Sunday, and uh, all of this in a country where Christian churches were illegal. We, of course, proselytizing the local Muslims would get you kicked out of the country or it, all of your, all your belongings would be confiscated and you could be thrown in jail. Now, seeing the Holy Spirit transform lives in the way we saw it, that sounds really exciting, doesn't it? And it, it was, it was fantastic. But if you liked how we do church here on Sunday, you probably would not have liked that church. You see, there were six families from very distinctive different church experiences. One was a really traditional uh, Baptist couple, and another was the, these really uh, charismatic Pentecostals, and then we had a really traditional Lutheran couple. There was a, a Methodist missionary, and then, of course, Tara and I were these middle-of-the-road alliance couple that, that came in. Each couple would lead a service on the for a month each Sunday morning, and then at the end of the month, they'd pass the baton to the next couple. So every month, the church looked vastly different. 
on one month you'd be singing and dancing and on the next month it was 200 year old hymns and you'd just be doing uh, um, congregational response readings. It was shockingly different. But you know what? We loved it. We deeply valued the gifts God had given each person on the board. And each different part of the body loved and accepted the others. They were, and they loved and accepted what each brought to the body of Christ. The important point is, sorry, the important point was, and it still is, the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His death, his resurrection, and the freedom from sin that we have so that we can love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul and strength and mind, and love each other as ourselves. For many of you, you only see church through the lens of Sunday morning, like we are here this morning. But of course, there's so much more, so many more other components to church that come together to make a healthy Christian community. And uh, we, as we work together, we learn to love each other as we love ourselves. You may note that in the Bible, conspicuously, uh, sorry, the Bible conspicuously does not explicitly define how church should work. It doesn't say how Sunday morning services should look. It doesn't define the senior pastor role. It doesn't say how many committees we should have. It doesn't even give any indication of who makes what decision. The Bible does, however, teach us explicitly about how we are to love and submit to one another. It talks about the five-fold ministry of the church, and that is the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the preacher, and the teacher. You can find this in Ephesians 4, and I'll let you go and look at that. We won't have time this morning to dig into this or many of the passages that theologians point to regarding how church should work. But what is clear is a God-honoring church is a team effort. Passages like Acts 2, or 1 Timothy 1, uh, Titus 3, Acts 14, Philippians 3. I can't go through them all. And it just goes on and on. They all explain a little bit about how the church worked in the first century. And we can learn a lot from that. Conspicuously, much of the New Testament was written to correct, or there were letters written to churches correcting behaviors and correcting false teachings within the churches at the time. One such passage is 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul teaches about the unity and the diversity of the church. And many of you will remember, he used the image of a human body to talk about the different parts of the church and how they work together. Each person represents a part of that body, having a different but equally important role in the body of Christ. And Paul goes on in the same chapter to talk about the spiritual gifts each person brings, each person has, which is intended to build up the church. The lesson is we all have different roles and different gifts, but, at the, but we have the same God, and it is the same Holy Spirit that gives these gifts to build the church and the same gospel of reconciliation. Pastor Melissa, you may remember our guest speaker from Thunder Bay who spoke a few weeks ago, Catlin's friend, she spoke eloquently about the need for unity and reconciliation in the church. You've heard, the, uh, sorry, you've heard Jesus' kingdom called the upside-down kingdom. 
That reminds me of Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28, where the mother of the disciples, James and John, they asked Jesus if they could sit on his right hand and his left hand uh, in the kingdom, meaning they wanted to be in the most important positions. When the other disciples heard that, they were indignant, which meant they wanted to be in the most important positions. You see, they all had it wrong. But let's look at what Jesus taught them about that. He teaches them and us when we are maneuvering to get the most important positions, we have it completely wrong. Let's take it up, or let's pick it up at verse 25. So Matthew 20, 25 to 28. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, people today in what is called the cancel culture are quick to take offense at so many, many, many of which are relatively minor. Once offended, they then justified in reacting, hurt, reacting with hurtful comments about others. And when they cancel, and then when they are hurt, they'll cancel people or they'll cancel organizations. Societies become so hyper-focused on a them versus us attitude. We, and then they justify hating the other side of any particular debate, or at least justify saying disparaging things about them. Not so with you, Jesus said. If you haven't watched the documentary Social Dilemma, you may want to watch that. It's a documentary that explores the impact on our society of the explosion of social media over the last decade and a half and how our society has changed during that same period. Researchers make the argument that social media and the related social media posts have become increasingly hurtful. They are attacking and accusational and they point to a lack of accountability for one's words. They claim that there's a correlation between this lack of accountability and the divisiveness in our society. Attacking others' character and the emotional or social isolation we experience has become so normal that sociologists are wrestling with the exponential increase in depression and anxiety in our society. This documentary comes from a non-Christian perspective and it's enlightening. The documentary, sorry, they document Suicides are happening in children under 10 years old, and even as young as 10 years old. This is, this is a disturbing trend, and it's entirely new in our society. And it started when this hurtful behavior among adults started, and it's increasing at an alarming rate. That is certainly not to say social media is all bad. That's not the point. But some sociolo sociologists argue that social media seems to have normalized the act of people attacking other people's character without accountability. And that has led to behaviors that are damaging to our society. 
society has become increasingly polarized. And this has changed us to a point where making an intentional, hurtful statement is sometimes tolerated. And both sides feel justified in blaming the other side for the hate. Sadly, it's not isolated to one group. It seems to have infected the church, too. What we see is a lack of accountability has shifted our culture from where we used to assume the best of others to where now, unconsciously, we start from a, a position of looking for and assuming the worst about people before we've even heard their side of the story. This shift is so subtle and yet so pervasive that sadly, most of us have fallen into this trap, haven't we? At times, we've become overly critical, acting spitefully or judgmentally before we've even spoken to the other party. Similarly, similarly, this has caused people to be increasingly defensive and assume others are attacking them personally or attacking their character any time you try to hold someone accountable in love or disagree with them on any of their positions on any given subject. This is not the spirit of unity and love to which Jesus called us, is it? His prayer the night before he died, excuse me, his prayer the night before he died, he prayed for unity for us. He repeatedly prayed that they may be one as we are one. You really have to go read John 17 to read that. We won't have time this morning. But the word disciple comes from the same root word, discipline. If we claim to be disciples of Jesus, we also need to welcome discipline from a loving Christian brother or sister. Truthfully, unless we hold ourselves accountable, society will influence us, and the church will then see the same behaviors inside the church that we see in society. Sadly, we're seeing it already, aren't we? We, can't we can easily fall into the trap of assuming people have bad intentions before we've even sat down and talked to them. As elders and as staff, we pray that this is never the spirit and attitude in town and field as, we, as this, this culture, this, society, this behavior is truly a toxic place where love and unity is completely destroyed. That is not an inclusive culture as people reject others the second they disagree with even one relatively minor point. Conversely, the gospel is inclusive of everyone that chooses to believe in Jesus as Lord, regardless of their past. Romans 10.13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Jesus loves all of us way too much to just leave us in our sin. Where, before, where we were before we were called. Consider for a moment the story of the woman at the well. She had five husbands and was living with yet another man. And Jesus certainly did not condone her, her immoral behavior. But at the same time, in love, he listened first. He showed compassion in his love. And he called her to a better
John 17. His prayer for unity for us. Not only do we reflect his character when we love each other, but think about how attractive that would be for our society. How the difference that a loving community would be for a cancel culture like we live in. You know, in the 1990s, the show Friends was hugely popular. Now, admittedly, it was not a God-honoring show, right? But it was hugely popular, and it still is today. Why is that? It's because people crave a loving community, acceptance, even despite their brokenness. Okay, so, so have we seen, we, so we see this divisiveness, if I could speak, we could see this divisiveness in our society today is clearly not consistent with the humble, patient, servant-hearted leadership, quick to forgive character of Jesus. So let's commit ourselves to resist being part of that divisive thinking, that divisive behavior, and commit to allowing ourselves to be discipled by one another, taking on the loving, patient character of Jesus. We're his body here on earth. He reaches out to his lost sheep through us if we let him. We read in Romans 12, 2, which teaches us to humbly draw near to God and do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your minds. And as Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron, so as so one person, sorry, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Have you ever seen iron sharpen iron? There's a lot of friction, there's a lot of heat, and sometimes there's a lot of sparks. And that's a really good example of how we disciple each other. There's no accountability. You're making no including yourself. We shouldn't be afraid of discipleship. Sure, I understand no one likes to be corrected. The habit this thing keeps fading in and out, or is it just my ears? Closer? Okay, thanks. I keep hearing it ring, and I think maybe it's, I'm holding it too close. You shouldn't be afraid of discipline, and I agree. No one likes to be corrected. But if you have a habit of rejecting or getting bitter about being discipled, you will reject, sorry, if you reject being, you reject discipline, you will reject being being under Christian discipleship and your spiritual growth will be stunned. Similarly, those who forget or those who have trouble to forgive have forgotten how much they have been forgiven. Okay, so how do we organize a church like ours in order to disciple all of us so each day we're becoming more and more like Jesus? Rich preached a great message last week, and if you haven't heard it, I encourage you to go online and listen to his message. The point of our vision, Catlin mentioned it today, the point was the vision statement to see people experience abundant life in the way of Jesus. That's our vision. Our mission statement is to join God in restoring all things in our lives and in our world. How do we join God in restoring all things? 
I want to go back to Matthew 20, what we read earlier, so we can review Jesus' words on this exact subject. This is a great guide, a great passage for us to serve in the church, especially various leadership roles in the church. Matthew 20, starting verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers and the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials, they exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to ser be served, but to serve, and to give his life for a ransom for many. I'll go to Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Or Galatians 5. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. You will be destroyed by each other. Very much like what we're seeing today. Hebrews 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. Did you hear that? Iron sharpening iron how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. After reading those verses about humble servant leadership, how does, intersecting, how does that intersect with our mission statement, joining God in restoring all things? Like any organization, a church takes on the character of its leader. Ultimately, Jesus is our leader, and each of us is called to surrender to his will, adopting his character. How much more so for everyone in a leadership role within this church? Since others will be looking to you as a leader and how to live in the way of Jesus. When I think of the Bible passages where we see Jesus' servant leadership, I can't help but think about the leadership styles we've seen in the evangelical church in North America in the last several years. The autocratic leadership styles that we often see have been adopted from the North American business world. Over the last few decades, we've seen more and more leaders of evangelical churches that believe that they should be able to just say what should happen and everyone should be required to just follow along. Tragically, like our society, many of those leaders have resisted oversight and accountability, which ultimately resulted in a spectacular fall from grace and the church collapsed, which ultimately resulted in lives being devastated Jesus' name being dragged through the mud in the media and people walking away from their faith. Many of you can name several churches where that has happened, sadly. At the other end of the spectrum in, the, in North American church, also we find historically what we could refer to as an out-of-control congregationalism. This is where powerful families or long-term members at the church or even big donors in the congregation they seem to feel that they have the right to say how church should be run and when they're unhappy when they're unhappy with the senior pastor they vote the pastor off of the island so to speak in some churches this this used to happen every two or three years and of course this is 
devastating for the senior pastor and his fam or her family or his family. But it will also devolve into a toxic culture where the church, where the, where the humility, the love, and the forgiveness of Jesus is not visible in the community. Again, Jesus' gospel is not the focus, and his name is dragged through the mud. What a tragedy. The point is, sadly, both scenarios... People get hurt. Jesus' name gets dragged through the mud publicly. Neither reflects the character of Jesus. And they were not operating with the kingdom, the kingdom of God in mind. Although the people involved genuinely thought they were. Without Christ-like discipleship, all of us will fall off track in some way. Even though we start out with the best of intentions. So how do we avoid the potential negative of those two styles of church. Well, given our limited time this morning, I will speak only high level of town and field and, uh, quite in, and explain that quite intentionally, town and field has three groups of leadership that balance each other out, hopefully always in the humility of Christ. The elder board is voted into place and empowered to lead by the members. But, this, but completely separate from that, the nomination committee, the mem sorry, nomination and membership committee is voted into place and empowered to lead also by the members, separate from the board. And according to our bylaws, the members even vote the chair of that committee into place. And then the, vet, the third, third uh, team in this chain is the members also vote for, and for the hiring and empowerment of the senior pastor, who then hires the staff. So the senior pastor leads the staff under the oversight of the board and the congregation. Second, the board leads under the oversight of the members, the members and nomination committee, the evangelical free church district office, and the senior pastor. And then the third group, the membership and nomination committee, they lead under the oversight of the members and the board. Can you see it? Submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. This is just one of many ways of organizing a church. And of course, there's, it's not right or wrong. But to be clear, the only way to run a successful church in reflecting Jesus' character is for all of us to humble ourselves and surrender our will to Jesus. And as it says in Philippians 2, verses 3 to 5, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each other, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ. Remember what Christ taught the two disciples? That's what we're reading here. Again, we see it in Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's what these three groups, the board, the senior pastor and staff, and the nomination and membership committee are doing together. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Those two passages, along with Matthew 25, which we read earlier, they need to remain the filter through which everything is done in our church. And in Matthew 23, Jesus repeated himself. 
the greatest among you will be the servant. This is not the modern secular thinking of leadership. It's not even how many modern churches believe. And sadly, that autocratic leadership has infected the evangelical church. And even sadder than that, people don't seem to see that it is in conflict with the teaching and the character and the example of Jesus as a servant leader. We're especially, sorry, we all, especially if we are in a leadership role, must take on the attitude of a servant if we want to live in the way of Jesus as opposed to the way of this world. Remember, even on the night before Jesus died, he washed the feet of Judas. He washed the feet and served the man he knew was going to betray him. You know, if you are currently overly critical, if you struggle with anger or bitterness, if you struggle with spitefulness or some other kind of sin, just remember, you are forgiven the second you repent and bring it to Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, as Romans 12 teaches us. You don't have to keep going back to the behavior of your old self. You are free. You are a new creation. If you struggle to control your anger or your spiteful reactions when someone disagrees with you, let me give you one analogy that I really hope will be helpful. On a daily basis, remind yourself of this analogy. Think for a moment. Life, is, life in Jesus' forgiveness, and this forgiveness we're talking about, is kind of like playing a sport where the scoreboard is a thousand to zero and there's one minute left in the game. The captain of the team turns to you and says, okay, we can't possibly lose. So just get out there and have fun. Pass, shoot on the goal if you can. Just whatever you do, make your teammates look good and make me look good. That's the scenario. The score's a thousand to one. Excuse me, the score is a thousand to nothing. When you go out to play, would you get angry if your opponent cheated and tried to score one goal? No. Even more importantly, would you get angry and yell at your teammate if they dropped the ball? The score is a thousand to nothing. Be free. Live with joy. Just have fun and always make your captain look good. When you fall into sin, as we all do, you have to ask yourself, where is this anger and bitterness and divisiveness and spitefulness, where is this coming from? Because it can't be coming from your position in the game. It's a thousand to nothing. Just like your anger and spitefulness can't be coming from your current position in Jesus. The captain has already won the game. You know, Honestly, the analogy of the thousand to one, that even understates how much Jesus has won for us. We all, we all need someone to walk with us in discipleship, to help us leave our old selfish worldliness behind. Without healthy gospel-centered accountability, the church can drift down a very dark path. I spoke with one former missionary about this repeated pattern in the church, and they said to me, unfortunately, the enemy is right in the middle of our camp. And as Rich eloquently said last week, the enemy is only here to kill, steal, 
and destroy. What's he here to kill, steal, and destroy? Well, consider what the Bible teaches. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If the enemy is able to steal your joy, can you see how that kills your strength to build the kingdom with Jesus? It prevents you from joining him and restoring all things. Not so with you, Jesus said. Today, let's be transformed by the joy. The captain has won the game. It's a thousand to zero. We would, why would we get upset when one of our teammates trips us up? Uh, you know, if a teammate upsets you, says something upset, just pick them up, love them, dust them off, and say, hey, you're forgiven. Let's get back in the game. Our prayer today in Town and Field Church needs to be that we will resist the temptation of being divisive like the culture around us. That, and that includes us on the board or the staff or everyone here. We all need to avoid backbiting against the pastoral staff. We all need to include, and this includes the staff and the board, we all need to remember Jesus' words from Matthew 20 and avoid any self-centered behavior that grieves the Holy Spirit. This is not at all to say, Town and Field Church, you can't speak up about the issues that frustrate you. That's not true at all. The Bible very clearly says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So talk to the person that's offended you. But always start from a humble position of assuming the best of others. And then talk to them with love, just as Jesus did. The Bible teaches the body of Christ has many parts. The hand cannot say to the foot, I do not need you. Remember that from 1 Corinthians 12? The point is, we need to humbly submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When things don't go our way, we're frustrated. We feel th we, we are, or we're feeling um, there is some kind of injustice that has happened from us. What flows out of us? Do we speak harsh words and sending, send nasty social media posts? Or is what flows from us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control? You probably recognize that list. It's from this, the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. I will leave you, I will leave you to be your own fruit inspectors. I'm not going to judge you. But just ask yourself, when I don't get my way, do others see the fruits of the Holy Spirit coming from me? If not, gospel-centered discipleship will get you there. As the music team comes back up to continue in worship, I want to close by saying this. The gospel is such good news. It should impact every reaction. If it's, and if it's not... Find a loving Christian friend that can walk with you and help you to hold yourself accountable, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, to change our heart from stone to a heart of flesh, to surrender everything to Jesus so that we can be free and last and live in joy, but not act like our old self, like the divisive culture we live in today, where everything has to be my way. No, but instead, let's act like Jesus, the humble servant 
that is our Savior, our Redeemer, and our King. We have a church leadership where three groups hold each other accountable to keep the gospel of Jesus the center of everything we do. And if you'd like to speak more about that, we'd love for you to come to the annual general, uh, sorry, the uh, town hall on Monday the 20th, and we can discuss that. Of course, we're not going to be able to fix all the problems of the world. We just won't have time, but we can talk about how the church works. I want to close by reading an Old Testament blessing over you. So I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will. And before I read that, I want to read 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 13. So I'll just have it on the board here. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, acknowledge those who work hard among you. Among you. That means not lording it over you. And that doesn't mean below you so you can lord it over them. This is those who work among you. Who cause you in the Lord and who, sorry, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. You see that? Admonish you. That's correct you. Hold you accountable. They care for you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So now, as we continue to worship together and before you go, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And all God's people said, Amen. Jesus.
prayer to say. It's from a few years ago. You may or may not be very familiar, but you can pray it. It has everything. I want to
Go ahead one more time, Trisha. Go ahead. One more time. One more time. Nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Because he's the only one who can. Greg, if I lived in Ab Aberjaidan, you would have a rowdy Sunday with me. <laughs> On Vision Sunday, I said that our vision is that we want to see people experience the abundant life in the way of Jesus. And our foundation, we, we see that two ways. One, we draw people to the person of Jesus because Jesus is the only one who can. And two, we're relentless about building a healthy local church. Because a healthy local church does the, uh, does the other one, which is draws people to Jesus. Grateful for the words from Greg this morning. As you go this for, into this week, I pray that you would experience the abundant life. Life and life to the full that's found in the way of Jesus and only in the way of Jesus. Be blessed as you go this week, and we'll see you next weekend.
I've been set free.